Welcome to the Daily Bible Podcast, a show intended to help you get more out of your everyday time in the Word. This is a ministry of Compass Bible Church in North Texas, and if you'd like to join along with our daily Bible reading program, you can do so by going to compassntx.org and clicking on the Daily Bible Reading tab. Thanks for joining in for today's episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. What's up, brethren and sistren? Brethren and sistren. It's like the the plural of... Yeah, word. well, no, it's totally a word. It's, I, don't, I, I don't think it's brethren a word. Brethren and sistren, welcome back. Brethren is a word. Sistren is not a word. Why can't, if, we, if you can have brethren, why can't we have sistren? Because I'm a chauvinist. That's why. Because it, That's exactly it's, why. It's Thank not you a for word. acknowledging that. It's not a word. Sistren. It's, it's not a word. Sistren, write in and tell him it is a word. Don't do that. <laughs> Tweet <laughs> at him. At Pastor PJ. Because you're wrong. It's, it's not a word. All right, sistren. Okay. Speak. Hey. Saturday and a new book, the book of Job or Yov. 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 Yeah. Job. Uh, we'll call it Job because that's what. Uh, that's how we say it in English. Yeah. That's how we say it in English and that's how it's written in your Bibles. Uh, it's not Job. We know that. So don't not call it Job. Job. No. He was not related to Steve. Did you ever make that mistake though when you were talking about this book? Nope. In the book of Job? No, it's because you were raised in the church. For some of us, we, we, might, we might have made that mistake. If you <laughs> so, didn't, much, <laughs> so much judgment contained in that. That's just because you were raised in the <laughs> no, church. No, that's great for you. Not all yeah. of us knew yeah. that. I mean, some of us didn't know. Hey, Job's a unique book. A uh, unique book for a number of reasons. Uh, there is uh, a lot of uh, speculation and belief that this was, the story at least, the content at least, took place during the patriarchal age, during the time of Abraham and, and even before Abraham. Mm-hmm. Um and there's some reasons for that from the text. Uh, when you look at the age of Job in Job 42:16, it says he lived over 100 years even after this happened, 100 plus years after this happened. And, and the age of, of his life fits with that patriarchal period. And so there's some thought there. If you look at uh, in chapter one, verse 17, the Chaldeans, the Chaldeans didn't have a city. They were kind of nomads. They were roamers. They were bands of Chaldeans at the time. And that implies that there wasn't yet an, an empire or a nation. The Chaldeans would eventually later on down the road become the Babylonians. Um, Job's wealth in chapter one is described in livestock rather than in uh, in coinage, right. which would have been indicative again of the patriarchal period. Uh, in, in Job one, he also seemed to have a priestly role with his family. And so he seems to be playing the role that uh, it would imply that this is pre-law, pre-temple, pre-priestly uh, system right. in the Old Testament there. Um, and so there's, there's a lot of reasons why people would say that this took place during the patriarchal period, which leads to the question then, was it written during that time? And, and there's differing views on that. Um, uh, I think a lot of people do believe it was written by Job, even though it never claims to be written by Job there. Right. Uh, there's certainly a lot of personal information about what Job experienced, uh, but then you read the Pentateuch and you look at what Moses wrote about what experience, what happened long before Moses was alive with the, with Adam and Eve and, and right. Abraham and, and all those things and, and onward. So it's not po- impossible that somebody later on down the road under the inspiration of the spirit could write with such knowledge and detail of what took place in Job's life. But then again, Job lives so long after these events that take place in the book that it's possible that he penned this as well. If that's true, we may be looking at and reading right now the oldest canon- canonical book that we have in our Bibles, mm. uh, that this would have taken place, the, the content and then the writing sometime between Adam and Eve and Abraham. Crazy. Yeah. Pretty uh, pretty amazing to, to think about. And here it's sitting in our Bible. Some other unique things about the book of Job contains the longest place in the Bible where God himself speaks of all the books in the Bible. It's the Job is the longest. It's Job chapters 38 through 41. Yeah, his response to Job. Yep. Oof. Yep. 
also contains the longest place in the Bible where Satan speaks. Job wow. chapters one and two contain the longest sections where, where Satan himself is, is speaking. Fascinating. So Job's a unique book and we get that right away. Um, Job opens up, it says his descriptor, description, his character, he was blameless in upright chapter one who feared God and turned away from evil. Um, describes his wealth there. We talked about his livestock, verse three, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen. Pastor Ed, how many oxen do you have at your house these days? Uh, less than that. Okay. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah, but but Job was doing well for himself. He had a big family. His sons used to go feast. And then you see Job's priestly uh, function there, his love for his sons and his daughters, where he would go and, and consecrate them. And he would rise early in the morning, offering burnt offerings for them, again, in that, that priestly role as the head of the household there for his family. Then we get to, to verse six, and it, it's this idea of the, the heavenly council. The sons of God come to present themselves Ooh. before the Lord. Ooh, these people. Sons of God. Who are the sons of God? The sons of God, a better way to understand that is these are angelic beings. And uh, these are the angelic beings. It's a heavenly council. Is this all of the angelic beings? We don't know if this is all of the angelic beings. We know Mm -hmm. that there are multiple present there, and one of them present is Satan. Interesting. It is interesting, right? Because you've got a, a, a heavenly council, and here's Satan. And Satan has certainly already fallen. And so there's a divine permiss- permissiveness already that God would allow Satan to be present at this council. Mm. Um, there's a, a mixed view from commentators whether or not there were other demonic forces present at this council. If this was all of both the, the fallen and unfallen angels that are there, or if this was only the, the unfallen angels and God, and then he allowed Satan to, to enter in, it's, it's a unique situation and it's, it's, beyond our pay grade in so many different ways here, right? This is a glimpse into what's taking place in heaven. And we only really can say with confidence what the scripture says. We know it's a a council between God, heavenly beings, and Satan is one of them. God asks, God asks this question of Satan. He says, where have you been? What have you been doing? And it's not a a question of ignorance, but of invitation. He's trying to engage Satan here. Satan responds and says, I've been going to and fro throughout the earth looking for somebody. And uh, isn't it interesting that, that God is the one that brings up Job? And I got to imagine Job's like, he's picking a fight. Thanks. Thanks for that one. Well, does Job know this? I guess to your point, if he wrote it, then he'll know this. But at, at this point in Job's life, he doesn't have any idea. Yeah. No, he has no clue that this is taking place at this point in his life. But I've always been struck by God's, And it's always and, and think about this as, as we read the Bible, y'all would that God would describe us this way, right? As you look at Job chapter one, verse eight, and it says, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? This is God speaking. This is God's evaluation of Job. There's none like him on earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. Can you imagine, would that God would say that about all of us, right? That that would be our reputation with God. Well, in what way then, to, to clarify, in what way would you say that Job is blameless and upright? I mean, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and yet here's God's commendation about him. So what does that suggest about Job? I think, I think it certainly is not implying that he was perfect in any stretch of the imagination or sinless in any way, but I think there's a measure of the the concept even that, that we see in, in Psalm 139 where David says, Lord, search me and try me. And if there be any grievous way in me, let, let me know what it is that I might get rid of it, right? I think Job was a man passionate about his godliness and holiness. We see that he was passionate about that with his kids. He was going, hey, it, it may be that my sons or daughters, that they sinned somehow. And I want to make sure that I'm offering burnt offerings and sacrifices for them to atone for their sins because maybe they don't realize their own guilt. And if he had that level of concern for his kids, certainly I think 
individually, he probably had that level and more concern for his own holiness. So I think that this is just a commendation that God is not saying that he's perfect, but that he's walking in righteousness and he is doing everything that he can that when he sees sin anywhere in his life, he's trying to root it out as much as he can. Yeah, I think I would also add to that too. I would guess, given the description we have here, is that he's a, he has an Abraham-type faith. Mm. He's counted righteous and blameless before God because he has, novice though it might be, he doesn't have the full revelation of God, but he has a faith in God that sure. provokes him to do these things. And therefore, I think in that sense, um, even though he does have a, a pretty great life, it's largely, my guess, because of his faith in Yahweh, even though he doesn't know him that well, he has a faith in Yahweh that makes him blameless. Right, and, and I think the end of verse eight bears that out when it says, who fears God and turns away from evil. And I think that contained in that statement, who fears God is that faith that we're talking about there. Right. He's yeah, that faith that, that leads to righteousness that then produces a godly life. Well, Satan answers God and says, well, of course he does. I mean, has he no reason to, to fear you? You've given him an easy street, but if you raise your hand against him, then he's going to curse you. And then we see this, in, this interesting relationship and it gives us an, a, a peek behind the curtain to how, the operations between God's sovereignty and Satan's activity work here because Satan has to ask for permission. Satan can't do anything to Job without the divine permission of the, of God of Yahweh. Wow. And so he's granted that permission. God says, go, but don't, don't touch him. And, uh, and I think what follows is just, we see how much our enemy hates us and hates God. Interesting. Because what befalls Job after this is, he turns it up to 11. I mean, he loses his servants. He loses his livestock. And then even more tragic than that and heartrending that he loses his kids. Ooh. And, and I just, I, I found myself thinking more about it this time reading through Job going, wow, Satan hates God and hates God's creation, hates it. Cause as soon as he's given an inch, he takes a mile with, with Job and with Job's family there. And towards the end of what? Trying to get Job to, to curse God. Um, Job's wife shows up, right? But what, before we get there, verse 20, Job's response to this is is humbling to me because Job doesn't curse God. He does exactly the opposite. Mm. He falls on the ground right after hearing all of this and mourns, but says he it says in the text there, he worshiped God. And he's got this phenomenal statement, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I return, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. And then in verse 22, and all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. Just amazing. I, I, I mean, I was, I was flabbergasted at what's taking place here. And, and one observation that I made that I'd love for you to quickly comment on is that in the four events that take place to work against Job and his family, two of them are natural disasters, and then two of them are personal disasters. So you have the Sabaeans, you have the fire of God, you have the Chaldeans, and then you have a Texas tornado, <laughs> as Jay Bernard <laughs> McGee calls it, Texas tornado that just destroys the house and crushes all the kids inside. Um, should we read into that today? Is 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 the devil behind the tornado that, that rocked my house? Is the devil behind that, that guy that robbed my family's home or whatever mm-hmm. it is? How do we understand this? think we get into trouble when we look for satan under every rock and behind every tree um when we're trying to evaluate what's going on in our lives is it possible it's possible is it provable i I don't know that we can get there i think what we have to take away from this is we have to have job's response and we have to trust god through the pain through the sorrow through the suffering because sometimes it's the hand of god's discipline in our lives as the writer of hebrews talks about as the psalmist talks about as the writer of proverbs talks about Uh, other times it, it may be, yeah, demonic oppression. It may be, you know, spiritual warfare that's taking place in our lives. 
and there are going to be times where maybe that's distinguishable more than others. But but generally speaking, I th- I, I think we got to be careful and say, okay, what what do I need to do right now? I need I need to trust God. I need to worship God. I need to have my confidence in His sovereignty no matter what. Is there any way that you would give someone direction on how to discern the difference between demonic oppression versus? God's discipline versus some other option? I think we start with an examination of our lives saying, like we mentioned earlier, Psalm 139, God, is there anything in my life that that is in, in error? Am I sinning here? And if I'm sinning here and and not, not that immediately it's like, okay, I sin, so God's going to squash me like a bug. But if I'm in sin and God, and this is discipline in my life, then I want to be attentive to that, not just to stop suffering, but so that I, I am not grieving God anymore through the sin in my life. Uh, there's going to be times though that we examine our lives and go, okay, I, I honestly, Lord, before you, I'm not perfect, but I don't see any areas of, of unconfessed sin in my life. We may be dealing with with spiritual warfare in that situation more so. Yeah, that's a, that's a really hard question to answer. I've had that question before, which is why I brought it up. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm often left with saying, I, I know I, we don't know for sure. And, right. and if, if you can examine your heart well enough to know, oh, I see sin here, here, and here. Um, and even for the sensitive soul, some people can examine their heart and say, well, I, I mean, I, I was mad at this guy that cut me off and, you know, I hit Pastor PJ's car and I didn't tell him. <laughs> I mean, there's all sorts of things that we could look at our hearts and say, man, I'm a, I'm a guilty sinner and I deserve the worst of punishments and treatment. We may never know for sure mm-hmm. this side of heaven, mm-hmm. whether what we're experiencing is discipline or whether it's uh, the direct intervention of the devil himself. What we can know is that in those situations, we're called to trust the Lord and to seek his face, no matter what. Let right. that be a comfort to you today. Right. Absolutely. Chapter two, you get the the repeat of the scene. Satan goes back before God and God says something uh, interesting here that again speaks to the relationship between his sovereignty and Satan's activity there. He says in verse three, he still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. Without reason. So the, the, the question there is, is who's afflicting Job? Is it God or is it Satan? And I think the answer is yes. Oof. I mean, God is, is saying you incited me against him, right? In other words, God is, is owning responsibility for what's going on in Job's life Whoa. right now. And this is deep water, bro. It, it is. is and, and yet it's, it's what we find here in the scriptures, right? Struggling. Um, we just talked about Acts chapter two, not long ago, where it said that, that the Jews crucified Jesus according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Yep. So therein too, we see the same concept. Who killed Jesus? Was it the father or was it the Jews? And was it the Romans? And the answer is yes. Yeah. It's all right. Because God is, is sovereignly orchestrating and, and, and ordaining the events that are taking place here. Satan's response is, well, sure, because you didn't go after him. So God says, okay, fine, go after him. And again, we see the hatred of Satan. He goes after Job and Job is just physically wrecked here. Yep. Um, so much so that that uh, that this is where his wife comes to him in, in verse nine. Do you still hold fast your integrity? Curse God and die. And man, I, I don't know what Mrs. Job's life was like, but <laughs> she lost the same things that Job has lost yeah, at this point. Yeah, she's grieving for sure. Yeah. And, uh, and her counsel's not good. I'm not saying her counsel is good at all. Although some commentators suggest maybe this is her saying, Hey, you know what? God's clearly after you. Why don't you just bring an end to it? Yeah. Um, we don't know, but this is more suffering that Job now has to endure as well. Uh, the tension with his wife, um, and, and Job's response, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Uh, Psalm 14, one says the fool says in his heart, there is no God. Um, and I think Job is is still holding fast to the notion and faith and trust that God is there, that even though all this stuff is happening, he doesn't understand why God is there and he's going to remain trusting that God exists and that God is ordaining all these things. Mm. Rest of chapter two, these three friends show up 
and uh, great and, friends. And and we're gonna see the 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 rest of the the, the friends. They, they yeah they don't do a great job, but here they do a good job. They show up when their friend needs them, and so if you don't have friends that are gonna show up and sit in the ashes with you when you're grieving, you need to get new friends. <laughs> you need to get some friends that are willing to come and sit with you, even when you're at your lowest point, and be there for you. Pastor PG is accepting applications. Uh, yeah. Small annual fee. The benefits are great. <laughs> you can sign up at www. I bring my own sackcloth. <laughs> yeah. In chapter three then. Um, wow, we've got so much. This is already going so far, but still chapter three is important. It's part of our reading. It is. Job, um, he doesn't curse God. He curses the day that he was born. Mm. He, uh, we've he, all been there. Yeah. He's like, man, I, I just wish my birth had never happened. Yeah. And, uh, and it's really kind of broken up in chapter three into, it depends on who you read two or three sections. I think at least two sections, there's, there's the curse on his day of birth in verses three through 13. And then there's really a lament in verses 14 through 26 there that we see, um, his, his attitude here is, is just God, I, I wish the day that I was born had never come to pass. And what's going to be interesting is later on, and we'll get there, uh, Job 38, 12, uh, God, the Lord responds to Job. And one of the things he says is, have you commanded the morning or caused the dawn to know its place? And that's an interesting question. It's, it has more to do, I think, with just the, the fact that God brings the days. But I think it's in some ways a response to Job back here in chapter three saying, I wish my de- the day of my birth had never come. And God's saying, I'm the one who's ordained all these things. Right. Have you commanded the dawn or the the, the day to, to take its place? Um, and so, you know, Job is is lamenting. He's grieving. He's mourning. He's he's just he doesn't understand why he's here. It's kind of like, okay, God, why am I even alive at this point? And like you said, Pastor Rod, we've all been there. Some people listening to this may be there right now. Yeah. Um, and I think still the the encouragement from Job's initial response to say. Okay, God, I'm I, I'm going to worship you. I'm going to trust you because that's all I can do right now. That's all I can do right now. There's nothing. Nothing else makes sense. There's no magical formula that I can pray to make the pain stop. I'm just going to worship you because that's all I can do. And so sometimes we've got to do that, and uh, and that's hard. And that's hard. And uh, there's this is where I think the the friends do the right thing when they first show up, and that they just sit with them. They're they're not there to give the platitudes. They're not there. Uh, to, to fix the problems. They're, they're just there to, to grieve with somebody who's grieving. Yeah, there's nothing for them to say. Right. In that moment, the best thing you can do is to shut your mouth, cry, weep, and be present. Right, right. And and just to set the stage for many chapters to come, the end of chapter three, when um, Job says this, I'm not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. But trouble comes. Mm-hmm. I'd like to, to give you some light at the end of the tunnel on this one, but right now we're just, we're heading into the darkness of the tunnel in the book of Job. That's right. But uh, it's inspired and, uh, and there's good things, good principles for us to learn. All right. New Testament, New Testament. We are, this is going to be our, our longest podcast we've had so far, but bear with us. Um, chapter seven of, of the book of Acts. Now Stephen gives his response. Remember we talked yesterday about how everybody looked at him and they looked to say, Hey, what's, uh, what's he going to do? And his face had the face of an angel. There was this trust, this calmness, this peace about him. And he opens his mouth and begins to uh, respond when the high priest invites him. Are these things so? And Stephen said, uh, and I, I, I kind of hate the way that, <laughs> that this is broken up right now because it, it interrupts things and chops things up for us as we do our D, DBR, but it, it's understandable. Otherwise, we would it'd be a, this would be a seven-hour podcast, not just a six-hour podcast. Can't have that. No. 
but Stephen launches in and he is just as Pastor Rod, you were saying yesterday, just saturated with the word of God and scripture and knew the Old Testament and just goes through and rehearses the, the history of Israel. And that's really where he's going to go in the whole of, of chapter seven. Uh, but what he's doing is he's setting the stage to kind of show, okay, uh, God had been in treating Israel and, and, and trying to get Israel to see their need for him. And Israel kept rebuffing him and rebuffing him and rejecting and rejecting and rejecting. Um, and, and he's, he's eventually in, in this is hard. This is where I wish we were just reading the whole of chapter seven, but he's, he's trying to get them to see the error of the Israelites throughout Israelite history. So yep. in, in chapter seven, I mean, verse nine, the patriarchs jealous of Joseph. He's talking about how they, they were doing things that weren't good. And yet God was still working throughout the whole thing. And he's working and he's leading and he's trying to get uh, to, to a certain point into a certain destination with what he's doing with Israel. Yeah. And one of the things I love about this is that he really does a great job synthesizing and summarizing some of the stuff that we read. I mean, it takes you chapters to Mm. chapters to get through this. He does a masterful job of putting it all in a concise fashion. And I think there's something to that. One of the things that uh, our old, our sending pastor used to commend is summarizing chapters of the Bible to put it in your own words, give it a couple sentences. And maybe that would be helpful for you. A title, if Uh, you will. No, no titles. (laughs) He specifically said, don't title them. You can't do any better than the Bible. (laughs) And if you do think you can do better, you've got made your arrogant issues, buddy. Are um, you suggesting the titles are inspired? <laughs> no. Okay. Just You said not any no, better well, than the, the Bible. I mean, well, the editors. The ed- well, actually, it depends on what titles we're talking about here. We're talking about the Psalms. I'm not talking about the Psalms. Okay, because those, those titles. Okay. Anyway, long story short, one of the practices that you might want to adopt in your Bible time is maybe summarizing the chapter so that you can synthesize it yourself so that when you're called to the fore, called to give an account for the hope that lies within you, you have some some ammunition to work with. For sure. In fact, what this chapter reminds me of is it reminds me of the testimonies that are given of prisoners of war that were believers that were um, uh, captured and put into horrific conditions and situations. And yet they had memorized so much scripture that one of the things that sustained them through that was just going back over the scriptures in their minds yeah. as they were there in dire circumstances. And they were able to rehearse the book of Ephesians because they awesome. had memorized it, or they were able to, to call to mind the promises of God that they had read so many times because they had memorized it. So Christians, if nothing else, Acts chapter seven, know your, know your Bibles, memorize your Bibles, meditate on the word of God, get it in into you at any way that you possibly can. The Bible memory, app is a great resource right. fighter verses by by uh, desiring god is another great resource right um there's a lot of different ways uh, probably another podcast episode on uh just bible memory resources would be a good thing for us to throw in at, at some point too or we could just sprinkle them in like we are now and or about them as they come up just throw them in now yeah one of my favorites by the way is bible memory goal the, it, it's a podcast it's a it's a youtube channel um it's really really good yeah. in fact the guy that started it um, the reason why he did it is because he was imprisoned huh. in, a, in a Chinese uh, in a Chinese internment camp, and one of the things that he walked away with is I need to know more of my Bible so that if I'm there without my Bible in hand, I have my Bible in my heart. Yep, yep, such a good practice. You will never regret it. There's no way you will get to heaven and be like, oh, I wish I had not memorized as much of the Bible. <laughs> Too much time with my Bible. Right, right. Well, we're glad that you spent some time with your Bible with us today, Thank and you. we pray that you have a great rest of your Saturday and a great day at church tomorrow. That's and right. we will catch you again at the next episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. See you guys. 
Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. We hope and pray this has been a blessing to you and your time in the Word. If it has, if you would subscribe to this podcast, leave a like, leave a comment, and share it with some friends and family, that would be awesome. If you need more information about Compass Bible Church here in North Texas, you can go to compassntx.org. Again, that's compassntx.org. And we'll be back with you tomorrow for another episode of the Daily Bible Podcast. Thank you.